I think those songs set a great tone for us this morning as we look at the life of Jonah. We come to chapter 4 in the book of Jonah, which was read for us here a short time ago. And the danger that we all face is that we look at Jonah and we go, what a bad dude. What a bad man. And yet, if we don't understand and we forget the grace that we've been given, if we forget what it took to pay for the, to gain justice, right? Which is Christ's death on the cross for, which was injustice for him, but our justice was served. Then we too, like Jonah, will have hearts that are hard. We will grow angry over things that we shouldn't be angry about. We will shake our puny fist in the face of God and say, How dare you? And this morning, my prayer is that you, like me, will see in the life of Jonah a whole lot of you and a whole lot of me. Let's pray that God would do His work through His Word this morning. Let's pray. Gracious Father, this morning as we come, our minds are distracted about many things. I pray, God, that the the worship this morning has directed our hearts towards You, but that also the, the worship and the prayer and the Word has already begun doing a work through the work of the Spirit to soften our hearts and minds for what you would have us learn from your, from your word this morning. That it would, through the work of the Spirit, bring conviction in our hearts as we struggle with things like anger over perceived injustice and, and wrongs in our lives. And hard hearts that we struggle with towards others that we think are deserving of your justice more than we. And so, God, I pray that you would remind us of the glorious goodness of the gospel, the glorious beauty of the horrible cross that brought salvation and redemption and forgiveness and life to us. And God, may you help us to be exceedingly glad in that this morning. Help us to be exceedingly glad that your cross made a way for us to be in beautiful and glorious relationship with the Creator God of the universe. And may God you do that work corporately and individually in our lives this very day. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hope you're there in Jonah chapter 4. If you're not, you can grab a, a pew Bible ahead of you and, and use, if you've already forgotten the page number that Paul gave you a little bit ago, you can, in the beginning, look up in the table of contents and find Jonah. And some of you, even if you have your Bible, you might want to look in the table of contents and find the book of Jonah. It's a small book, right? But, oh man, it's been a good book. What a story. And it, it seemed to have had a great ending last week, right? You have Jonah who, he got the word of God in, cha- in chapter 1, verse 1, and told him to go to Nineveh, and he went the other way. And God, through a storm and a great fish, turned him around, that reluctant prophet, and set him on the right course, and he headed off to Nineveh to gladly, or maybe not so gladly, reluctantly share the word of God with the people of Nineveh. And as chapter 3 ended last week, 
would be a great place to end the whole story. Because the people of Nineveh repented, didn't they? The king and the people all covered themselves in, in, in sackcloth, which was a sign of repentance, and they repented before God. And good old Jonah. Jonah rejoiced, and that's the end of the story. But wait, the prophet, the prophet who in the beginning ran, and when he did come was reluctant, he is ticked off. He is livid with God. And let's read verses 1 through 3 again. He witnessed the repentance of Nineveh, and he knew what this meant. And here's his response. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the... How angry, you ask? Here's how angry. Look at what he prays to the Lord. Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my own country, back before I ran? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And you'd like... That's beautiful. Yes. Quoting another, an, an, another prophet, that's good, right? Quoting the Psalms, that's good. But it's not. Because he, in his twisted mind, in his hard heart, in his forgetful mind, then goes here. Therefore, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. We're going to hear that again from Jonah. Poor me. How dare you, God? You see, just a chapter ago, in chapter 2, we saw Jonah getting God's grace. God saved him from the depths of the ocean through the, the belly of a great fish and sped himself out on dry land. I can't imagine what he looked like. I mean, after that, he probably bleached and pasty white and headed off into the desert to go to Nineveh and he showed up in town. I bet you they were freaked out. I mean, this guy would have looked crazy. But he shows up, they repent, and now he, forget, forgetting God's grace in his own life, says, how dare you, God? How dare you? Jonah was furious over his perception of injustice by God. He was livid with God. He was not angry that bad things happen to good people. And I say that tongue-in-cheek because there's never, never been a bad thing happened to a good person except Jesus Christ. Bad things happen to people. And we're sinners. Bad things happen to people. Right? But that wasn't his problem. He wasn't even wrestling through that issue. He was angry that God is who He says He is and does what He says He does. He knew God's character, that He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. And he, Jonah, judged God to be wrong in his application of his character towards the people of Nineveh. He believed that this was injustice. And you might think, man, that's, that's harsh. Well, but un, you gotta understand Jonah, because anger is often the response of perceived injustice or wrongdoing. That's, that's generally what anger is. We see something happen and that's not right. Hey, you get, you're talking to your kids, that's, you're doing the wrong thing. Or, man, how dare you talk to me like that? You're in the store and, and the, the, you're not getting the customer service you want. That's injustice. That's wrong. You cut me off. 
You're so wrong. We see the world today, and it may be, so it's bigger now than, than you know, being wrong at customer service. We see a world, and there's wickedness out there, and we look out there and say, how dare they? They're such evil, awful, no good, very bad people. Yeah? Yep. But what are we missing? What are we missing? We'll get there. But let's ask the question, is Jonah right? Was there injustice? Was there unrighteousness in God's decision? Was he right in his perception that God's mercy to Nineveh was unjust? Let me ask you this. Did Nineveh deserve God's mercy? Folks, if you understand what mercy is, you would know the answer to that question. Mercy is, by definition, undeserved, right? No, they didn't deserve it. Did they deserve God's goodness, God's grace to them? No, they didn't deserve it. They did nothing to earn it. Therefore, that's why it's grace, right? But did Jonah deserve to be rescued from the belly of a whale? Or great fish, whatever we want to call it. I always, in my mind, it's three whole days in the belly of a whale. That's the song I sang from the time I was a little kid. So the great fish, did he deserve it? No, no. But let's go back to the question. How bad was Assyria that Jonah would despise them so much that he would desire to see God consume them in his fire or however God chose, just don't give them mercy? Well, Nahum, in Nahum chapter 3, verse 19, says this, as he prophesied the coming judgment of Assyria, which is the nation in which we find Nineveh. Nineveh was one of the great capitals in that, in that nation. And here's what Nahum wrote. There is no easing your hurt, Assyria. Your wound is grievous. All who hear the news about you, Assyria, will clap their hands over you. For upon whom has not your unceasing evil come? In other words, everybody, everyone, is going to rejoice when you get yours, Assyria. Nineveh, when you get yours, people are going to be, you deserve it. Why? Because of their unceasing evil. They, and, and you're like, man, that's pretty harsh. Well, we know of their evil, not just because we read about it in the Bible, but because they were big time propagandists. They wanted you to know just how big, bad, and evil they really were. If you go to many museums, you can find find examples of their art. And their artwork isn't what you would expect. It is actually artwork of people being killed on the battlefield, tortured, skinned alive, stuck on stakes while they were alive. They were bad people and they wanted you to know how bad they were because they wanted to dominate and rule in terror and brutality. They were bad and everybody knew it because they were really good at their PR machine. And you're like, well, then Jonah, (laughs) he's just acting on what he knows, right? Uh, But Jonah knows more than just their PR machine. Because Jonah has already told us he knows more than their PR machine. He knows who God is and he knows that God is gracious and abounding in mercy, relenting to disaster. Jonah knew that. You see, even a generation later, Nineveh, with their nation of Syria, 
would still be up to their bad tricks. They were still destroying and brutalizing the nations around them. And God used them. God used them as a tool, as a rod on the nations around who were wicked like them. And he even brought these very Assyrians up to the doorstep of Jerusalem and had them hemmed in before he turned them back. This nation was a nation of brutality. And so Jonah thought, God, wouldn't it be best if you just took them out? You'd save the world of so much misery. You would spare us all of a whole lot of pain and suffering. Well, the fact is, the fact is, that doesn't change a thing. Because God will have mercy upon whom He will have mercy. We read in Romans 9. If God did not show mercy to sinful people, no one would receive mercy. And here's the situation in our own hearts. We can know that we have deep spiritual issues. We're in deep spiritual trouble when the sin of others concerns us, concerns us more than our own sin. If we can look out there and identify the sins of everybody else and weep and wail over their grievous sins and not see the sins in our own hearts, not see the sins in our own life, then we're in deep spiritual trouble and we need rescue. But guess what? We have a God who does the rescue thing, right? He's already done it in this book. He's done it for Jonah once. You could argue more than once, but he's done it in a big way one time. And that was in a more physical way. He rescued him physically out of the depths of the sea. In this chapter, we're going to see God working to rescue Jonah from Jonah. From Jonah's sin that bound him up inside. And in that, we can all relate. Most of us have never been thrown in the ocean and rescued by a great fish. We've had maybe other physical things where God has spared us. Right? This week, I was on my way somewhere and uh, a guy is coming over in my lane. He's coming over in my lane and I'm going, you know, around 465. He apparently wanted to go to Chicago, but he was clear in the right lane, needed to be in the far left lane. And I happened to be in his way and I got driven, driven almost all the way over and yet nothing I could do. But God in his mercy, that guy finally, I don't know how he missed me, but somehow saw me. By the way, those of you that are thinking, dude, you're close to a whole lot of wrecks recently. It's fair. It's fair. Wrecked a car a couple weeks ago, almost this week too, but God in his mercy spared. I, I couldn't do anything. I mean, I honked, but the guy wasn't even looking. He would not look. God rescued. He does that. The physical thing. But most of us desperately need spiritual rescue. We need to see ourselves as we really are. We need to see that we have a heart problem. And so in response to Jonah's prayer to God to take his life, Jonah asked, God asked Jonah a very probing question. He says, do you do well to be angry? So God zeroed in on the anger. Why? Because there's something behind that anger that that God's after. Jonah, you see, had a heart problem. 
And Jonah's anger was the obvious product of that heart issue. It was like an alarm going off and saying, Hey, Jonah, hey, come here, buddy. That anger that's, that's bubbling up right here. Um, is that a good thing? Are you doing something good with that? What are you, what are you accomplishing with your, your anger, Jonah? Are you doing well with your anger? Are you doing good with your anger? And this time, Jonah just ignores the question. <laughs> I mean, that's quite something that Jonah would dare ignore a word from God. Is it? How often do we read the word of God and hear a message from God and yet we blow right by it? It's like, it's a rhetorical question, right God? Right? Do I do well with my anger? Do I, do I even need to talk about this? I mean, after all, you know my heart. Yes, I do, Jonah. That's the problem. That's the problem. Jonah ignored God's question. And verse 5 tells us that Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he would see what became of the city. I'm not even going to try to unpack all that because, frankly, this is just kind of messed up. I, I mean, he, he, he either knows that God's not going to judge him, and so what is there to see? Or he's hopeful that God just, that they might, might be short-lived, repentance is short-lived, and God, it may take more than 40 days, but maybe on the 42nd day that God still might get him. I'm not sure. We can't really know the mind of Jonah. But it is interesting this, that it notes that it's on the east side of the city. Where was Jonah coming from? He was coming from the west. Those of you that are, you know, you, you like maps and stuff like that. He was coming from the west. Remember, he was headed way west until God rerouted him with a great fish and brought him back. And now he's headed east to Nineveh. He goes to Nineveh. He proclaims it's a three-day walk across the city. Remember that? And now it seems as though he exits on the east side. He did one and done. He, he's not making another tour. Right? He did what he needed to do. I'm, I went through the city. Now I'm done. Let's build a little tent here. And let's just see what God does. Let's see what they do. But God, I'm going to give you my two cents. My two cents is this. They don't deserve your mercy. So here he sits. And Jonah's heart problem was this, that largely that he, he was blind. He could see their sin problem, but he refused to deal with the issue that was obvious to God. And honestly, it's obvious to us. When we read this book, it's not like we go, oh, I wonder what's going on here. Does Jonah have an issue or, or something? We, we see it. It's like it's obvious here. Jonah's heart problem came from the same place that Nineveh's heart problem came from. It, it, it just came out of their sinful desires. Luke 6.45 says this. It tells us where it all comes from. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So while Jonah is there ignoring the fact that he's got this internal problem, the problem's over there. It's just west of me. I'm sitting over there looking at the city that's got the problem. There's the problem, God. Jonah ignores the fact that he has a heart issue. So what does God do? God, in his mercy, in his grace, says, Jonah, I'm, I'm not done pursuing you. Yes, I got you to accomplish the mission I gave you, but I have a lot more that needs to be done. And it needs to happen in you, Jonah. 
And so God sovereignly orchestrated a learning session for Jonah. He wanted Jonah to get his eyes off of Nineveh and look to his own sin. You know, God was concerned with evil pagans, but and he still is. People that don't know God and, and have no relationship with God, God desires that all men would come to repentance. Yet, God desires for his people to have a heart like his even more. Right? That, that the people that are called by his name would have hearts like his. And Jonah didn't have a heart like God's. Jonah's heart was in, was diametrically opposed to God. So God sovereignly orchestrated an experiential learning session for Jonah. Now some of you, if you've ever been to camp at Twin Lakes Camp over in western Indiana, you know that's a big thing they talk about is experiential learning. They teach a lesson in the morning. And then they design these little things throughout the day where you go and do some activity and they point from that activity back to the lesson. Okay? The goal is that you would, that some of us who learn in different ways would get it, right? Some of us, it takes a while. Um, some of us, if you just, you know, put a PowerPoint up here and let you read through it, you're good, right? You don't need the preacher, you just give me, let me read it. Oh. Okay, I get that. A lot of us need, uh, we need to see it, we need to hear it, we need to experience it, we need to hear it, we need to experience it, we need to hear it, right? We just need, we need a lot more, okay? And Jonah apparently needed a lot more. And so God sovereignly orchestrated this uh, for his benefit. This idea that he appointed a plant is something we have already seen. The idea of assigning is to, is a, it comes from the Hebrew, Hebrew word, which is the idea of as one assigned a servant. So God had already assigned something else. Remember that? God appointed a what? A great fish to swallow Jonah. And, he, and God talked to that fish, which is pretty crazy, right? That God's talking to a fish. But, but now he appoints a plant. I mean, that's not a real high IQ. I mean, a fish is fairly smart. I've tried to fish for them, and they, they can elude me. Plants, not so much. I mean, I, you know, plants don't, if, if, can't evade or do a whole lot other than just do what they do, they grow, right? But God appointed a plant as his servant to provide a learning experience for our friend Jonah. And God does this in our lives as well. God appoints those circumstances and things and people into our lives to provide experiential learning opportunities for us to grow in likeness of Christ. To point out situations in our own hearts. I've often had people come and say, man, no matter where I go, I run into someone just that has this kind of bad attitude. and I'm kind of tired of it. I go from this job to this job to this job, and everywhere I go, there's someone like this. Well, have you ever thought about why God brings those people into your life? What is it that he's trying to help you see? What is it that he's trying to help you understand? God, all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose, right? The goal is Christ's likeness, to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And so God provides lesson after lesson for us to to look into our own hearts and see our own hearts. God has an assignment for this plant, a worm and a scorching wind that we read about in verses 6 through 8. 
in order to rescue the resentful raging prophet from his own own heart. Verse 6 says, Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might, might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad. Remember, he was exceedingly angry a short time ago. Now God gives him a little comfort and he's exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, he heard munching. God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked once again that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. So the, cir- the circumstances for Jonah turned a good direction. He's already built his tent. He didn't have any good trees to park it under. Nowhere to hang his hammock, right? And God just has a plant grow up right there. Well, this is good fortune. <laughs> this is fantastic. I've got shade. I, you know, things are looking up. God is so good to me, right? I am such His faithful servant. I came, I shared, even though, you know, I wore my t-shirt that I'm late because I didn't want to come. I'm here. I'm here. And I did my job and now God's blessing me. Oh, yes. Maybe even had a little worship time in front of the plant. I don't know if he would have even been singing a song writing a song about his plant. But if it did, it would have been certainly some, I'm never going to let you go, never going to let you down, plant. I love you, plant. It's, it, you're my plant. He, he may not have been doing that, but we'll see real soon. We see here in these verses that in his heart, he was. He was worshiping the plant rather than the Creator. He was delighting in the plant that was a gift from the Creator, but failed to see the, the heart and, and the grace and the kindness of the one who had given it. The circumstances, while they took an initial good turn, man, they went, they went from, Joseph, uh, from Jonah being exceedingly glad to right back to exceedingly mad. While he was living his best life now in the shade of his beautiful plant, God prepared to turn up the heat on him using a little worm. Now think about this. Think of all the things that happen in your week, all the stuff that happens in a week. And God can take a little worm to provide a lesson for a little prophet in the middle of a desert to the east of Nineveh. Don't you think, don't I think, that God can appoint more than just a worm to help me see my heart, to reveal those things, those out-of-control desires within me that when I don't get what I want, are quickly revealed. Let me finish the story about the, the little route I was on this week. I was going to have some work done on my car. They, told, they quoted me a price. And, of course, I wouldn't have needed it had I wrecked the car. Then it would have been all no problem. So I drive an hour to this place to get the repair. Walk into the shop. The service tech pulls up something on the screen. And it had been quoted 80 bucks. And, and the guy says, well, you're going to need this part to, to get this done. And I'm looking at the part. And I'm looking at the price. And I've been quoted what I've been quoted, you know, 80 bucks. Yeah, but you need this $900 part. I... 
can I just tell you, I wasn't exceedingly glad. <laughs> I threw a little pity party. I, I, I told him, hey, it's not your fault, because it wasn't. It wasn't his fault. It was the customer service fault. You think I got on the phone and called him? No, because I, I, you know, I really contemplated what I was teaching in Jonah, and yes, I did. <laughs> but as I'm waiting a long time on there, I thought, this is my Jonah moment. Stephen, nobody did this to you. That customer service rep didn't do this to you. If you want to point at somebody, God did this to you. Because God wants you to see that you're still an impatient, self-righteous, selfish wretch. And how often does God bring those situations into our life to help us see a little glimpse of our own hearts? And yet we miss it. We miss it. And why do we miss it? Because we're so fixated on the lack of our comfort, the sin of another, the problems in the world around us that we, if we were God, we could fix. And yet God says, I love you and I do have a wonderful plan for your life, but it isn't exactly what you think it is. I want you to have a heart like mine. I want you to have a heart that isn't overwhelmed by your own selfish desires, but is overwhelmed by my desires. Jonah loved that plant. But really what Jonah loved was him some Jonah. He loved him some Jonah. And Jonah loved that comfort that 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 plant provided Jonah. Early that morning, Jonah probably was enjoying the shade he was going to have for the day. It was just a per- probably maybe even having some devotions, right? Whips out the scroll and he's just enjoying his coffee. I don't know what he made it out of or how he made it, but I'm sure he had something. Um, but sitting there just enjoying the sunrise. And then the worm. In the end, God used the worm and a scorching wind and a hot sun to say, Jonah, here's your heart. But, do you think Jonah got it? Apparently not, because Jonah gets mad rather than broken. The people of Nineveh, when they heard the word of the Lord one time, they repented in sackcloth and ashes. Jonah has heard from God multiple times. And Jonah still has a heart of, of stone. And Jonah needs his eyes opened up. Compare Jonah's response to the Apostle Paul's response to suffering. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, it says, So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults and hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So God applied pressure 
where Paul needed it. So that Paul would learn the lesson of humility. That he would not grow conceited, having had this experience with God. Now Jonah, having been a messenger of God, needs some work too. And God applied sovereign pressure where Jonah would experience it most acutely. And took out his plant. He certainly didn't, as James chapter 1 say, says, count it all joy when he met trials of many kinds. There's a reason, because he wasn't seeing the big picture. For you know that the trials, it goes on to say, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. He didn't get this. He wasn't understanding this. And so the death of his plant and the scorching wind and sun revealed that beneath Jonah's temporary pleasure in the plant remained unresolved anger. The ultimate anger that Jonah had really wasn't the plant. He'd never dealt with the anger that still resided over Nineveh. That's where the real anger issue was. It was just bubbling below the surface. Often in our lives, When we don't deal with anger, when we allow these things to build up and we don't address them, then a root of bitterness grows up. And we're warned in Hebrews to not let that root of bitterness grow up and defile many. But what happens is when we let these trivial, when we let these unresolved anger go on with God or with others, it doesn't take much. And the small things in life set us off. We have a trigger that is like a hair trigger on a gun it'll go and man it just keeps going every little thing continues to set us off i've got one my 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 ruger that if you're not careful you'll double tap not even trying it's like the recoil will make you hit the trigger again and it'll shoot again that's that's how anger can be for us it's like it we get get all bound up and then when it when when something makes us angry. And by the way, nothing ever makes you angry. You respond in anger to a situation. But the anger comes from you. It's nobody else's issue. And so Jonah responded in anger, and we respond in anger. When we don't deal with anger, we act like Jonah. And we probably need to hear God say to us, are you doing well to be angry? Is this, is this good that you're angry now at this child? Is it good that you're screaming at the person in the car next to you? Is it good that you're pounding your pillow over your boss? Is it, are you doing well with this? <laughs> yes, Lord, so well that I could die. Could you come at me with that again? You're doing so well with your anger that you could die. That doesn't sound like you're doing so well with your anger, right? I mean, can, he, he's so angry he could die. Well, that's not doing something profitable with this energy that you have. You're not doing well at all. Jonah is irrational. And he's just basically, in a petty way, voicing his deep disapproval of God. Once again, Jonah says, I could be better God than you are God. Our struggle 
with anger at life situations is not a God problem. It's not a goodness of God problem. It's not a wisdom of God problem. It's not a justice of God problem. It's a heart of me problem. And Jonah's heart was the problem. Think back to the past week. What's made you livid? What has got you worked up? You see, in verse 4, Jonah, God asked Jonah about anger as he fumed over God's mercy towards Nineveh. Now God probes Jonah's heart over the death of the plant. And we get the same kind of response. And I don't think it's, it's, it's by chance that his two responses are almost identical. Because it go, it, you just follow it back to the root. Jonah's unreasonable anger revealed the roots of anger in his heart. You just trace it back. Once again, Jonah doesn't answer God's question. So God unpacks a lesson for Jonah in the, in the debriefing session. God questions Jonah. And it reminds me of the first questions that God, God asked. Do you remember those back in the garden? Where are you? Did God know? Yeah, he's asking them a question. He already knows where they're at. Right? He wasn't asking it into the blue. Where, where are you? I, I can't find you. God, no. God's, um, Adam and Eve, hey, where, where are you? Where, where, you know, like the little kid who's playing hide and seek. One of our kids would play hide and seek with us and he'd go hide off in a closet and you go, I won't use the name, but where are you? And what did he, th- what do you think they did? I'm here. <laughs> God, that's, that's not what we're doing. God, God knows where they're at. God knows their condition. The next question God asked was two verses later, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? You see, God's questions were not for the purpose of his discovery, but for the purpose of reveal, revealing the roots of sin existing in the heart. God's question demanded that Jonah evaluate his own heart. And did Jonah initially do that? No, he deflected. He deflected and said, oh God, I'm so put out with everything. I could just die. Poor me. Woe is me. And how often we deflect in anger and and just like, just irrationality. Irrational behavior and we just punch back at God. As we get angry over the situation. You see, God demanded Jonah evaluate his heart, but Jonah's still not seeing clearly. Jonah sees Jonah's discomfort and problems, and he still doesn't see from God's perspective. So, God graciously probed Jonah's heart to reveal Jonah's folly and revealed God's loving kindness. Just think back. Jonah thought he could run from God. That was foolish. And then he thought he could just do what God said and that's enough. Jonah's a prophet of God. He knows that God is after the heart of people, not merely some physical transformation. And so through the great fish, a plant, a worm, and a scorching wind, he sees the obedience of creation to the Almighty God. And yet Jonah still continued to rage against God's judgment and authority. He was focused on his earthly happiness, on his earthly comfort. So much so that he could give a rip about Nineveh. 
He did not care. And while the Apostle Paul talks about having learned to be content with much and with little, Jonah was fixated on what he just didn't have. The Lord's questioning intends to reveal the self-centeredness, the worldliness and the folly and lack of love in Jonah. And while Jonah's hard heart is obvious to us, God had to use a vine and wind and, and scorching and a worm, followed up by these probing questions just to reveal his heart. But God said to Jonah, verse 9, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant. Here's, here's the lesson. Here's the heart being exposed. You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh? That great city in which there is more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. You're like, what in the world was that last part? Let's unpack that before we get to the other. You're like, 120,000 people who don't know their right from left, what, are they stupid? No, they're children who aren't even old enough yet to know their right from left. And God says, in that city over there, those people that you think are also wicked, let's just remove all the adults from the picture. Let's just, let's just act like all those people, those murderers and evil people that you see are gone. There are still 120,000 little children who don't know their right from left. Now, I know some of you adults don't know your right from left. That's a different issue. You know, you still have to do... Oh, yeah, there, left. Um, but that's not the problem here. You've got an argument from the lesser to the greater. You've got a plant, Jonah... I'll raise you 120,000 children. You've got a plant. What do those children need to stay alive? Cattle? Cattle are worth more than your stupid plant, Jonah. And yet, shouldn't I have mercy on them? Compassion on them? You know, Jonah had no relationship with the plant. He didn't create it or care for it. And yet... Poor Jonah, mourning over his plant. The plant for which Jonah showed concern had limited existence. It was going to die soon, right? If it would grow up overnight, those kind of plants don't usually last long. I mean, kudzu grows fast, but, you know, it's still, you know, most of you, if if you've been in the South, you know what kudzu is. It grows about two feet a day. It's some brilliant person thought it would be great ground cover to bring into the United States, and now it grows over entire buildings and and forests, right? But kudzu is weak in that it, it, it can be here today, gone tomorrow. You bring a fire through and it'll burn it, right? It's just a plant. So in the end, Jonah's love for the plant, God says, really should highlight the rightness, the justice of him loving people who are eternal, who have eternal souls. And how often do we get it out of balance? in terms of what is truly important in our day, in our life. And God, how often does God have to bring the vine and the worm and the scorching wind to come along to discipline us, to help remind us that His ways are, as Pastor Chris mentioned, higher than our ways. I think it was Chris, maybe it was Matt. Regardless, God said it. My ways are higher than your ways, right? Not just just higher, but... Totally other. 
and said, you know, you need to get this, Jonah. This is the heart of God for his creation. He loves the, he loves the cattle, the children, the Ninevites. And Jonah, in case you're missing it, I love you. I, I've spent a little time rescuing you, Jonah. I sent a fish after you. I raised up a plant for you. I, 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 I sent a worm for you. I even, even gave a good wind for you. I love you, Jonah. That didn't look like love to me, God. I love you, Jonah. I love you, Jonah, and I want truly what is best for you. Here's the heart of God in Psalm 145, 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made, including those cattle, the plants, the Ninevites, and Jonah. So while Jonah let his comfort rule his life, and his God, the plant, got between him and his relationship with Almighty God, God had to intervene. And as we come to the end of this, we, ha- we need to, to see something in Jonah's lack of response. And I want to sort of move quickly through this, this closing portion because there's a whole lot more we can say. But Jonah, at the end of all this, is silent. He's silent. We don't see a response at the end of chapter 4. God speaks this truth to him and says, shouldn't I have compassion? And Jonah is silent. And often, that's what is needed. Jonah's been running, he's been working, setting up camp, waiting, but now Jonah is silent. Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there is any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. It's really hard for us to do that when we are running, 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 and we are angry, when we are stirred up, when we are checking our Facebook when we're getting angry over, you know, who's in the White House or who's doing this. And some of us, if, if, if we weren't so consumed with that stuff, we'd have time to be silent. To be silent. Jonah's been stirred up. It's time for Jonah to be silent. When we are confronted with our anger, we naturally attempt to rationalize and explain what is, what is really needed is silent examination and humility. Isaiah 57, 15 helps us see this. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity. That's mind-boggling. Who inhabits eternity? How do you do that? Whose name is holy. I will dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the heart of the lowly and revive the heart of the contrite. Just like the Ninevites. They weren't seeking God's mercy, but God gave it. Jonah wasn't seeking God's mercy. But God continues to provide opportunity to experience his mercy and grace in Jonah's life. There's no attempts to justify Jonah in this entire book. It's, if we don't, I, I don't know for sure who wrote it. But Jonah seems to reveal the heart and mind of the prophet Jonah in a way that leads me to believe it's Jonah. 
I mean, you could say, well, it was ordained, you know, inspired by God. Yes. But most of the time when we read about the inspiration of Scripture, we find that it was through people who experienced these things and God inspired them to write down the things that they'd experienced. Now, there are some there are some exceptions, but it really would make a lot of sense that if Jonah, in his silence at the end, repented, that there would not be a word of self-defense in this whole book, whole book. And we don't find it. Jonah looks really bad throughout this book. And that sounds like the heart of one who has repented. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the, if those sailors heard that there's a prophet named Jonah who went to Nineveh and Nineveh repented and he's back in Jerusalem. I think some of those guys, he, would been, he was a well-known prophet. I would wonder if they wouldn't seek him out to go, you have a story to tell. And Jonah, I would hope, it seems, would have a story of a God who was full of grace, who not only turned him when he ran, but who softened him when he was hard and was abounding in mercy even towards him. I wonder this morning, are you stirred up? Are you fired up over something? Are you, are you, is there a vine in your life that God has taken out, removed some comfort, removed some pleasure, removed something that is just really precious to you? And God's saying, hey, I know that. I, I understand Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added. I know what you need. But you've got a heart issue. And you say, wow, that sounds really heavy. There's all kinds of heart issues. Sometimes they're, they're things that seem pretty small and other times they're things that are really overwhelming. But nonetheless, he's a holy God. And he wants to create holiness in your heart one little piece at a time. And whether you're a child here today or someone who's been 70, 80 years walking with Jesus, there's still things that God graciously, lovingly wants to reveal in your heart that you might be able to, to rid yourself of those and reflect instead the heart of Jesus the heart of Jesus in your daily pursuits, the heart of Jesus when you get on that customer service line and talk to that individual, that heart of Jesus with your boss, with your coworkers, the heart of Jesus with your children, the heart of Jesus with your spouse, the heart of Jesus with the community that lives around you. And it's going to be really hard to do if you feel like you have been treated in injustice and unrighteousness by God. This morning, as you consider God's grace, consider Jonah's heart and how far God went just to reveal his heart. What is it that God's working to reveal in your heart today? I got just a quick glimpse this past week and just a little bit of the ugliness that's there. And that was a silly little thing, but it was real. It was a need in my heart. And God does that over and over. I want to close, and I know we've gone a little bit long. Um, uh, Fifteen years ago, 
I know because it was when we moved into our house down in Wellington Northeast on the south side of Noblesville. A number of things were happening in my life at that time, and none, we were moving into a new house, and that's enough for about anybody, right? I had a one of my three hernias. I don't remember what caused this particular one. Um, but I had a hernia right at that perfect time when you're moving and you're not supposed to lift over five pounds. I was lifting over five pounds. And, and we were having issue after issue in this house. And plumbing was problem number one. Toby, don't you just love used plumbing, right? Because it's delightful. You get to crawl back in, tight space, Put yourself up in there and do things that really I wasn't trained to do. All right. And and I remember my wife having to come to me. As I was ticked off again over some plumbing issue and came out to me behind the house and said, Stephen. Why are you so angry? And I knew she's like, what would you tell someone if you were counseling them? Oh, you would go there. And I knew in that moment that I was shaking my fist at God. And you say, those are silly little things. No, they're not. That is our gracious Father providing opportunity after opportunity, one sink after another, to replace every piece. Literally, in that house, we had to replace every one because it was all frozen up in terms of stuck. And one problem after another, God graciously loved me and said, Stephen, Come on, man. Are you, can you rejoice in the home I've provided? Can you trust that I, I, I want to see patience in your life? Friends, God does love you, but love doesn't look like you always think it's going to look. It's not always a vine and a glass of lemonade in an easy chair. It is his loving, gracious pursuit of you and your heart. Where is he pursuing this morning? Let's pray. Gracious Father, Lord, we come to you now as your people and we desperately need your work. And Lord, I know that, that we can look at someone like Jonah and see him as the outlier. But Jonah's not the outlier. He's not, he's not way out there and we're, we're pretty good. Jonah's us. We are Jonah's. We're wrestling with stuff in our hearts that we need to lay out before you and entrust to you. We need to cast our cares before you, knowing you care for us. We need to accept that we can rejoice in trials of many kinds because you're working those things to mature us. And God, I pray that we would have our hearts turned that we might desire the same things you desire, which is really what Jonah needed. And Lord, it's what we need, our hearts to be turned towards Christ-likeness and your, to reflect Jesus rather than our own comforts. So God, we pray that you do this work even right now. May your Holy Spirit point out the things in my life and our lives that need to be dealt with here before you, even in this moment, even before we go. And maybe some of us, as we, we go out, God, we, we need you to, to stir our tongues that we might talk to our families on the way home as we deal with our own sin that has been lived out before them. Maybe nobody else knows, but, but they see it. They see our anger. They see our impatience, our unkindness that, that just reveals a heart issue. 
And God, I pray that you would do that work across this place. And it might be a more beautiful, more glorious gathering even next week as you refine us one day at a time, one week at a time, for a lifetime. Until one day, we'll be able to say that you have finished the good work that you've started on the day that you return or take us home. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.